This podcast is intended for mature audiences only. These episodes contain discussions of violence, abuse, assault, and murder some listeners may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, 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 how are you? Hey, hi, Steven. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey there. Hey there, buckaroo. I quit. I didn't want to play with you. <laughs> Buckaroos and buccarinos. <laughs> yeah. Buccarettes. Hey. Okay. Stop it. Let's get to it. Okay. Hi, everyone. Hello. Welcome to Cousins in Crime, a true crime podcast. Uh, one of the cousins has a case of the giggles tonight. I do. Because um, I cracked my skull. Oh, well, yeah, since she fell down and went boom. Boom. But she's doing a little better. <laughs> <laughs> a little dumber, but that's okay. We I love want her to anyway. match your fly. Wow. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm the OG. So just do as I do. Baby. All right, so what are we talking about this week, Fatima? This week, we will be discussing the case of Sheila Farrell. Is it Farrell or Farrell? I don't know. I think it's, I believe it's Farrell. I'm pretty sure it's Farrell. That's how mom pronounces it. And, I mean, yeah. Farrell's like that pop guy. Yeah. Um, But this is a rather old case. It happened before... I was born before you before were born. I was born too. Yeah, before yeah. either of us were born. But yeah, it's forty. It's a forty-five-year-old case. Yeah, forty-five years old. But it happened uh, around where both our parents grew up, and I would hope so, since they're brother and sister. <laughs> Listen. Yes, yeah, their a, neighborhood. There was a gentle nod back to the fact that we are in fact cousins. Yes. Um. But yes, it, it happened in the neighborhood where they grew up and um, it's it's like a one generation separation. Yeah, from, totally. You know, this horrible crime that's very obviously based on yeah. a, a racially you know, motivated. Um, I was when I was uh, reading about this story, I was um, this happened five years before I was born and it was just it was so amazing to me how many similarities in a case like that mm-hmm. has to a case like Breonna Taylor's. Like Ahmaud it's, Aubrey, he was he was chased down by a neighbor. I find it interesting that like um, you know, things I went through, my kids will go through, and things that my mom went through that I, I went through, yeah. seems so frustratingly strange that mm-hmm. that happens yeah because um, we're and when I'm I'm not talking about like oh we both learned to tie our shoes the same way I'm talking yeah. about things that we experience involving race yeah and it just seems well it's just so frustrating because yeah this case like I said is 45 years old and it has so many similarities to things that are going on today um a, a few years prior to this in Wilmington Delaware which is where our parents grew up, by the way, because yeah. we didn't say that. There were riots um, after the killing of Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And during those riots, um, 
the governor called in the National Guard and the National Guard stayed in Wilmington for a full year. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. So, Which is just like what's happening in Portland. And- right. It's inter- interesting to me that this happens like right on the heels of that. Yeah. Um, and some of the choices and things that were made um, were made with this in mind. And so I first heard this story when your um, your mom, she does it like a daily video. And, you know, yeah. for some people, it's for motivation. Some people, it's, you know, to hear an inspirational story or whatever. She, she just does this amazing job every, every morning. So this is where I first heard this story. And then in part of it, she was like, it's a real story. You can look it up, you know. Um, and so that's just what we did, you know, yeah. looked it up. And it's quite interesting. Yeah, and it for me, it's. It's odd because it takes me back to like, you know, I love, my mom's my mom. Mm-hmm. And I forget that, you, you forget that your parents were young. Because <laughs> it's like, she's always. I think that's I'm, a year generation thing. I, I think so, yeah, for me. Because yeah. it's like, she's always been mommy. Mom, like, and yeah. to think about, you know, her as a young person um, living in a time where, where someone's so close to to where she lives to to the family gets killed in this manner too in this manner and it it like watching that video it was so like heartbreaking um the the one she did on sheila farrell oh um after she she did it like i I wasn't in the room while she was um, Mm -hmm. recording but uh, you know like she does it before i wake up right usually and um I'd woken up like in the middle of it and I was, you know, just kind of creeping down the hall to see, like, listen. And I heard her finish recording and she just broke down and was like sobbing. And I didn't really know what else to do other than just like go in the room and hug her because, like, I couldn't imagine. Right. I couldn't imagine this. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could say I couldn't imagine this. Yeah. Right? I wish, I wish you could too. And it's, yeah. it's so. I'm very blessed and very lucky to to have never had this, but I think that's I think that's another thing too for 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 my generation is and part of your generation is our parents grew up with this, so they worked extra hard. A lot of parents worked extra hard so their kids wouldn't have to, or they did their best to try to avoid experiencing experiencing it, it or have, letting their kids. Yeah. yeah, even though. There's only but so much a person can do to protect their children from mm-hmm. racist idiots. Right. So Sheila Farrell is um, your typical 13-year-old girl. She's getting ready for the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I shouldn't say typical. Sheila Farrell was kind of special. Yeah. Like, I was I was doing some digging, and I found um, that Sheila was actually a ballerina. What? Like, and not just... Any ballerina. She um, she had qualified for a scholarship with the ballet repertory company in Wilmington. What? And she um, she got these lessons. Her and sixty other promising dancers from low income families. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, her mom said she was always dancing around and imitating every dancer that she saw on TV. But Sheila was really good. Um, she was so good that. Not only had she qualified in 1973, like they gave her an extra year of lessons. So she oh was God. a part of the um, academy again in 1974. 
there was a newspaper article of her. She's on the ballet bar. And in that article, she had caught the eye of um, this renowned ballet instructor by the name of James Jameson. Oh, wow. And she came in and became Sheila's teacher. Like, this little girl had a special talent. Yeah. Um, and when I think about that, that makes me sad. Um, yeah. Uh, just because you think about all these lives that are snuffed out, really. Tamir Rice, mm-hmm. Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, all these yeah. people with special talents. Mike yeah. Brown. Yeah, and that's... Additionally, for me, because, like, as a little kid, I was interested in ballet, and I kind of wanted to be a ballerina, like, very, very, very briefly. Um, And then I, you know, like, I moved on to different things, but as I got older, I saw this very visible, very obvious racism in the ballet world, Mm -hmm. where there's this, like, myth that black girls won't make good ballerinas because when we hit puberty, we'll get big boobs and wide hips big butts and we won't be as graceful or as thin Mm -hmm. as all the other girls and to see someone her age so young like interestingly enough is it like one of the top prima ballerinas in the world right now isn't she a black black woman woman. yes so that it's like this dumb myth and she was another person who was disproving it and who would have grown up to be prima ballerina and to be this amazing dancer to prove to other little girls right you can be a ballerina no matter what. And just to have that light <clears throat> stolen. Well, let me tell you something. Sheila came from, like, an amazing family. Let me just, like, give you a few little tidbits. So, Sheila was born into a family of legends. Her mother, Carolyn Bailey, was the daughter of Carol Taft Bailey, who was this dedicated church man, but he was the founding member of the Monday Club. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's something big in... Uh, Delaware and but anyway he was the direct descendant of Frederick Douglass oh right my god <laughs> right what check this out though dude um so in 1941 Bailey uh married Lillian May Holmes Redding who was the younger sister of Louis Lorenzo Redding, who was the prominent Wilmington attorney and the first African-American admitted to the Delaware State Bar Association, right? And then Louis Redding rose to the prominence um, after serving on the NAACP legal team that argued for desegregating Delaware's public schools. What? This is her lineage, but wait. Her dad... um, I gotta. T- I have to talk about her dad. I don't want to leave any. Um, I don't want to leave anything out. Yeah. But her dad, he went by Toots. He was a part of the American Negro League. He played with Jackie Robinson. What? No, stop! Like I'm getting overwhelmed. Like. Right. Like there's a well of emotion. That's so. What? Right. Like I. There is no right person for this to have happened to. Right. But they really picked the wrong one. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's... Ah. Ah. Um, So, Carolyn, which is Sheila's mom, and Toots, they had divorced 
uh, 10 years prior to this incident happening. And Sheila, um, and they had four children. Mm -hmm. The youngest of uh, the children lived in Newcastle with her godparents. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I, when I was reading that, I was just like, that's so normal, like for a family. I mean, you know, I would spend a lot of my summers in Philadelphia and I remember like a lot of people lived with their grandparents or, you know, it, but anyway, so her younger sister lived with her godparents in Newcastle because mm -hmm. they had a small three bedroom apartment and they could, they couldn't all fit. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny that that, you know, it didn't strike me as weird. It just was like, oh yeah, that happens in so many of our families where like, it seems so normal that we have to separate from one another. Yeah. I thought that was just like an interesting little tidbit, like how often or how normal it seemed to me reading that. So interesting enough, like um, this story centers around Sheila herself, like returning from her grandparents' house for the summer. Mm -hmm. Like her mom kind of got to enjoy, you know, some time off from all the noise. And, yeah. you know, because her, her mom held a job, her mom held a job even after the divorce. And, um, but they, they still relied on some public assistance. And I'm saying that cause it's going to make a little bit of a difference later. Um, so even though her mom held down this job that they still relied on some public assistance to get by, but during the summertime, her mom kind of could take a breather because the kids were away at the grandparents. Yeah. Um, this whole story, um, just focuses on that last night of summer. Right, and a peach tree. So it's the end of the summer vacation. It's a Sunday, right? Everybody's getting ready to go back to school tomorrow. And Carolyn, Sheila's mom, decides that she's going to spend one last night out with friends. Mm -hmm. And she tells her kids, stay inside. So you know what they did. They went out to play. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so um, all except, you know, Sheila and her little brother went out to play. And then the oldest sister, Sylvia, had stayed home because she was entertaining her little boyfriend and whatnot. Oh, it's, <laughs> right? Can you just no imagine? Kidding. It sounds yeah, just course. like today if I told my kids to stay inside, what would happen? It really does. Living. Like, you know, yeah. the oldest kid invites over the boyfriend to snuggle and hang out. Or well, what did they do in the 70s? <laughs> I don't read, know. Read stone car things? And... <laughs> Your mom's going to snuggle. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's just, it's kids. Yeah. So Sheila was excited to be back home from summer vacation. And she had just turned 13 this year, so, mm -hmm. and she was, like, really outgoing. She's just outside playing around. And it was, like, roughly around 6.50 p.m. The sun hadn't gone down yet. Mm -hmm. It's a nice um, summer evening. And Sheila was outside watching her younger brother, Larry, and their cousin, Kevin, pick peaches from a tree. Mm -hmm. And so... The way they're saying it's like she was kind of like across the sh kind of like catty corner to where they were, mm -hmm. and this was like this huge peach tree, and everybody had picked peaches from this peach tree. And I guess mm -hmm. the house that was on the lot was vacant at the time, yeah. But, um, so you know, especially in the summertime, the peaches are ripe, the fruit is juicy, oh, yeah. <laughs> like you of know course. what I mean. So, her brothers are you know, they're her brother's up in the tree, and he's like picking. Um, peaches and this green and yellow Chevy like stops like in the right next to the vacant house and one of the pa uh, passengers gets out and he's like get the hell out of the tree and the kids 
take off, right? Yeah. Hit, hit the <laughs> like, bricks. Yeah. There's like angry white man. They yep. get startled and the kids just start running. Yeah. Um. Oof. So. Give me chills. Right. <laughs> the kids scattered and Larry was startled and he fell from the tree. Oh. Her little brother. And Poor then, baby. Yeah. So the. In the car, there's a woman and a man. So the woman chased after Larry and, with a broom. And then he escaped from her. Like, he ran through the alleyways. And then he was running home. And he looked back for his sister, and she was gone. Um, they had all started running. And then um, the girl, she took, she took and ran. And then I guess the guy that was running after her uh, says stop or I'll shoot and she didn't stop and yeah right if someone says or I'll shoot <laughs> right you really don't want to stop uh -huh. to give them the chance to shoot yep. so he extended his arm and he shot her she keeps running oh, right baby. she just um she she's she runs and runs and she makes it uh to the steps of her aunt and uncle's house and she just collapses uh on their porch um the man says something like she stole my furniture or something like that they said what? she was com uh saying that they stole furniture from the house and that they were stealing peaches and then um, somebody, uh, I think it was the uncle, goes out and he gets the license plate of the car mm -hmm. that um, he was in. And there was a woman driving. This is what the eyewitnesses say. There was a woman driving. And, and then he was in the passenger seat. Her sister hears the gunshot. Oh. Right? Yeah. And... Somebody runs up to the house and said, because uh, she's like, what's that noise? What's that noise? And um, somebody comes to the house and says, I think it's the cousin. He says, you've got to come now. Your sister's been shot. And she's like, like what? Like, yeah, they had been arguing earlier that day. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, she was like, I don't care. I'm going out to play. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so she runs over to her sister and all she look and says, she just looks up and says, I'm sorry. I'm Aww. sorry. And then she just loses consciousness. Baby, right. That's the worst right. feeling ever. I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. So somebody calls the police, mm -hmm. right? And the police uh, comes in there. It's just like this manhunt. They're looking for this guy. And, you know, the uncle's like, well, you know, I have the, I have the license plate number. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, they radio the license plate number and it comes back that the car was registered to a uh, Vernon Bailey. Mm -hmm. um, so they go to the house um, within the hour and there was a car, the car that they described Mm -hmm. um, was spotted it at the address and um, they also learned that the the vacant house where the peach tree was that they also owned that home uh, so you know it's kind of like putting the pieces together yeah so um, he goes uh, 
to the door. The officer goes to the door and this young blonde lady opens the door and she just opens it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, um, and all she says is, um, cause they're like, somebody's been shot and, um, the lady opens the door and says, well, what are owners to do when people trespass and pick peaches? And then she shuts the door. Right. So it's really interesting. They have to go through quite a few strange loopholes to get a, um, search warrant and interesting enough like uh, the way they get the warrant is like you know um a judge hears is like hearing the, this news and he gets kind of startled by this news so he calls on one of those red boxes like those old school mm -hmm. red boxes oh like, yeah so they take the warrant down by hand like the officer who takes it down like it takes it down on his daughter's little notebook actually oh my god because you, you can see like in the pictures of the warrant there's like i think like little elephants or something in the corners like little oh kids stationary yeah or whatever so they get this cool. yeah they get this search warrant so, so wait that that judge yeah. you hear over the radio that this little girl's been shot mm -hmm. i'm like just as a parent it's like i would imagine immediate rage mm -hmm. so like as you can like imagine for the mm. cops for for everybody yeah. involved this is like a maximum stress situation right yeah so um they're they're they know like whoever was in there is the person who is alleged to have shot the girl mm -hmm. and also that the pistol was um unaccounted for so yeah you know like when you're a police officer and the weapon that's involved in a crime is uncounted unaccounted for and I, I you know in your mind i'm guessing you know they still have that weapon yeah and you don't want to be the next victim of that person in that weapon right so like you know so they get the search warrant and while they're searching around the house i found this really interesting they find mm -hmm. the car right mm -hmm. and they find like like these dirty rags near the car and like somebody had taken the carburetor out of the car and like quickly tried to disassemble it like they were what? working on it oh my god right, <laughs> no, right. couldn't have been so, me right. in this very distinctive car right so as it so as he's looking around um like he hears this noise in the upper part of the of the garage i guess like the attic part of the garage there's like a trap door and he sees like this trap door and he hears some noise rustling around up there so the um the officer like pulls his firearm and he just says like i would really like for us both to be alive when we leave <laughs> and um so he's like where's the gun do you have the gun and he's not thinking this noise is really going to respond because they're yeah. obviously trying to hide out but um like this voice responds and he's like no <laughs> and he's like well what did you do with the gun and he's like i threw it in the river and so <sighs> you know he yeah. gets him to come out and um the man who would who comes out he's hardly looks older than a boy right mm -hmm. he um he was like thin he didn't have any facial hair like these wispy little blonde bangs 
Um, but he handcuffed them and his wife and his two young boys looked on the, were like looking on from the front porch. And, um, so the shooter was, uh, named, uh, John Bailey and he was 24 at the time and he would very soon become like the most infamous man in Wilmington at this point, right? Yeah. (laughs) I would imagine Um, so. Yeah. I was just thinking about all the privilege that led up to that point. Right. Right. Like, right. Um, that they, they searched the house and arrested him and got a warrant and all this other. How about just from the beginning that you're allowed to just say what you want to say through a closed door and shut the door in the cop's face. Right. If that had been a black woman or if they had searched him a no knock warrant. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh. So, um, all in all, Sheila gets uh, to the hospital and she was in a coma. The bullet that struck her in the back had pierced her left lung. Mm-hmm. It damaged her pulmonary artery um, artery before exiting. She had lost like 70% of her blood. Oh my God. Like, she needed like transfusions um, to reestablish her cardiovascular circulation. Mm-hmm. And the doctors were just scared at that point that her brain had suffered so much the oxygenization mm-hmm. that she um you know even if she were to survive she would just yeah she would never be. be the same yeah yeah um they were just you know that had at that point probably caused like some irreversible neurological damage mm-hmm. yeah her lungs were collapsed she had to be oh, intubated and she, at this point she's on a ventilator yeah yeah it's it's interesting to me that they were like already concocting a story by taking the carburetor out of the car and yeah. like you know yeah inter- it's just already working on a defense already working on a defense mm-hmm. yeah so um bailey was charged with attempted murder and his uh bail was set at twenty five thousand. Mm-hmm. and his family quickly came up with all the cash and he got out of course he got out like within 12 hours and they all had they all went into hiding um i went digging because i wanted to know about this bailey family like Mm -hmm. i wanted to know about this guy in particular like what how in your right mind yeah do you think it's okay to shoot anybody let alone a little girl right over some peaches like is it i just wanted to know like yeah like hate live there like yeah yeah um so i found out Mm -hmm. that um people knew mr bailey quite well and people who heard of this were saddened but not surprised to find him charged with attempted murder because oh. five years earlier, oh boy, Bailey faced a similar charge in New Jersey um, with assault with intent to commit murder after allegedly knifing another teenager at a church carnival. The charges were reduced to simple assault. Um, simple assault? Wait, wait, it gets better. Let me tell you why. Um, it was uh, to simple assault. Uh, but Bailey was ultimately acquitted on an unusual technicality. 
ask me what the technicality was. I'm, I'm scared to... Foaming at the bits to tell you. Uh, what was the technicality? Prosecutors were unable to determine if the stabbing was committed by him or his identical twin brother, Vernon. Yeah. So, um... Interestingly enough... So, um, like, he... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did he better. actually have a twin? Yes, he did have a twin. Okay. Cause... So, wait, it gets better. Um, Some teachers had come out to say, like, you know, I hate to say this about any of my students, but, like, they were horrible. They were horrible. Um, she said, you know, they would say awful things to... Um, to other kids, they were they were bullies, and she recalled one instance in particular um, where they were calling other kids the N word in the lunch line. So let me tell you, this struck me not only because I have my own instances of being called the N word in in school in a school setting, you know, mm-hmm. like my kids also go through this, and yeah. so interesting on. The, Interestingly enough, one of the reasons why I moved from where we lived in California was because there wasn't a lot of diversity, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know... That's also I'm why a, we moved from right, California. I'm a mixed bag of nuts, and then, you know, their dad's Dominican. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, in the Bay Area in California, there are no Dominicans. I just wanted to come. I wanted them to be somewhere closer to all their culture so they could experience all of that. But anyway, I say that to say that, so we moved to, to Pennsylvania and we lived like, you know, in Phil- the suburbs of Philly, like right outside uh, Phil- like in a little township. Mm-hmm. And I don't, we, they experienced more racism than I was prepared for. Mm-hmm. But then we move here mm-hmm. and they experience racism here and it's different. Mm-hmm. And it's different because it's like, the, you know, we live in a, a nicer part of town mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and most of the kids are white and wealthy yeah. and and the schools are supposed to be good and... Mm-hmm. You know, they're not there weak and they're, you know, getting called the, you know, getting called the N word. And and then you talk to, you know, it's just like these guys, you know what I mean? Bullies in school and you try to, what's frustrating for me is, you know, you you talk to the the people who are supposed to be the adults in charge and it's kind of like, eh. Yeah, they're like, oh, we can't really... You know, I've been told everything to like, you know, we can't control what they're taught at home. Yeah. We can't this, we can't. It's just a word. Maybe your kids should learn to not be, uh, <laughs> to not be. So offended. Offended by this word. Or, yeah. Oh, my favorite one is, oh, the black kids use it too. Yeah, or of course. Whatever. There's just so many excuses. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Just like in this case, and it's not the majority. It's the it's a few. It's these, yeah. You know, so I often wonder, uh, because of these missed opportunities for these people who are supposed to be in leadership to step in, how many more John Bailey's 
are out mm-hmm. there. Right. Because, you know, these um these little glimpses of hatred that they give you in middle school, grade school, high school. Right. I mean, it doesn't go anywhere. So it doesn't you know, and it, it it often, you know, it turns into something. Yeah. The the little racists that you grow up with in school grow up. To be the big racist. To become the big racist. Right. The guys that are standing on the street corner waving their Confederate flag and screaming slurs at you. Sometimes. But you know what else is sad? There also are police officers. There are also doctors. There are also lawyers. There are also working at your grocery store. Just yesterday. And he is a very nice nice man. And I won't say what what place he works at but it was an auto parts store mm-hmm. and i went to return my alternator my old alternator so i could get the rebate and i brought it into the store and he was like oh well, how can i help you sweetheart and oh give me one second we were joking talking laughing he was really extremely sweet man mm-hmm. like the nicest guy and then i looked down at his arms and he has tattoos and of course you know me i love tattoos i love looking at him and i see a swastika with flames and then I see eagle and then I see the skull with the German helmet and I see like kind of a confederate flag looking tattoo that's like peeking out from under his his shirt and it it was it was confusing because I'm like but he's so nice so maybe these like the swastika tattoo had like flames around it and something in front of it possibly an eagle so I'm like is it like a war veteran tattoo or is he just like <laughs> a former nazi who got tattoos when he was young and stupid because they looked old and faded and whatever mm-hmm. and i'm because he was so nice and because he was so sweet i was trying to find like some reason why he would have these tattoos and like mm-hmm. he very he very well may be a born again person who's not like that anymore or he could still be in the brotherhood yeah these people and are just, like just operating as a normal human being sight. exactly yeah. because like everyone thinks of neo-nazis and clansmen as these very open blatant and screaming in your face racist people and a lot of the times they are but a lot of the times they're just normal people who will smile at you and be very polite to you and kind to you and go home get on facebook and bash uh, the latest victim of police brutality it's it's this odd odd and frustrating thing that just we just have to exist in and live with it's like well are you mm-hmm. a new person or are you the same kid who was yelling at me and my siblings calling us the n-word and yeah. monkey and whatever else that you could across the lunchroom yeah you so the night after the shooting there was a vigil that was held for sheila Mm -hmm. and it was just like reading kind of um a lot of the quotes that were in the newspapers back then i looked up some of the old um articles and um i read this quote from her dad and it was like if she lives um, she'll be messed up for the rest of her life Mm -hmm. and you know um city city leaders you know were urging uh the black community leaders to appeal 
to the people for unity and peace because remember just I, I think it was like maybe three years prior they yeah. had had like these three days of riots after yeah. the killing of Martin Luther King and they had this this issue of having the National Guard there for a year and you know it was ugly and there was like a, you know Wilmington was like this hot bed of racial tension yeah um but I I, I find it sometimes strange and annoying how often um you know leaders like Re the reverend al sharpton are mocked in yeah. in um in the media like until something happens and then they're like reverend please tell the people to calm down like, right you know I mean? yeah that's it that's always like this annoying yeah like thing that annoys me when things like this happen yeah. but and they it's funny though because they forget that people like al sharpton and and different leaders were the ones that were in the streets rioting and screaming about injustice mm -hmm. and it's like you can't you can't see them older yeah and you know speaking on tv or or, or you know changing their platform and think that they're going to be with you mm -hmm. and be like oh please tell everyone to calm down we didn't yeah. mean it like no it's they're the same activists they're the same yeah people people are going to be mad yeah so tensions are like getting thick and then um then the news broke that you know john had made bail and mm. so of course you know yeah it, it also too can we just talk about the bail for a minute because i was Dude. reading i was reading um a quote from one of sheila's neighbors and it was like the quote was um a dope pusher gets fifty thousand bail and this pig only gets twenty five thousand. right right um right so you know they were hoping like, for maximum penalty under the law but there's um absolutely no excuse for anyone charged with this crime to go free under bail i don't think no no yeah. ever like you shot a child yeah or at least you're suspected of shooting a child right because you're not. yeah of course yeah. Just, you know you threw the gun in the river which is as good as a confession mm -hmm. however so like by the next morning there was more than like 250 protesters like congregating before the county courthouse to mm. protest uh bailey's release but um you know protests intensified mm. and i just i always wonder because there's this weird moment right like where the protest is peaceful and you know But then the cops get suited up in their riot gear. Yeah. And which is exactly what happened here. And and mm -hmm. things get crazy. Yeah, because after you, that. Mm -hmm. you, it is again that inherent racist idea that when black people gather, it's gonna get rowdy. Mm -hmm. And people only get rowdy when you approach them dressed ready for battle. Like if you come dressed for war there's going to be a war. Mm -hmm. Police officers don't need to have full body armor, <laughs> taser shields, helmets, suits, tear gas, canisters, tanks, whatever, yeah. roaming the streets for a peaceful protest. No one came there to fight. 
No one came there to start a battle against the police. It started as people showing up saying, look at all of these bodies, look at all of these people who are enraged at what is happening. Do mm-hmm. something about it. Yeah. So um, Carolyn, Sheila's mom, like just kept uh, kept Bidra at her bedside and dozens of sympathizers, black and white, mostly young, mm. <laughs> um, donated blood. Oh, at, wow. Because um, de- uh, she was in desperate need of it. Um, but her mom was just like waiting at her bedside and she you know the quote from her was like there's nothing there's nothing to do but wait um but there was like a lot of talk about riots and um uh you know a lot of Sheila's other family members were like really disappointed by the response to the crisis like you know like they what they wanted to do was um, to have Sheila's mom uh, say something to the people, mm. but but they wanted her to say what they wanted her to say, which was like, please, you know, please stop the violence. Because what they were, you know, um, Sylvia, the sister, was saying that, you know, that it just felt like city leaders... Um, and the politicians were more concerned about the downtown business than they were about saving like the lives of the young black children from this racist violence. And they had asked their mom to talk to the people and, um, and she did, but Sylvia was like, I would have never done that. (laughs) But, um, you know, her statement was, please stop the violence. It was the violence that put Sheila here. It's not what I want or what she would want. Please go home and pray for her. That is what is needed. We need your prayers to help her through her crisis. Mm -hmm. We don't need any more violence. Please go home. Now, um, what was the the young man's name that just got shot in the back? Uh, Jacob Blake. Yeah, Jacob Blake. What I found really, really interesting and sometimes it's, it's kind of eerie. His mother's statement and his statement when he could talk again from his bed sounded almost word for word like this. It's, right. it's kind of like, you know, this case is 45 years old, but they, mm-hmm. the game hasn't changed. The game has never changed. Right. And they think that our young people are too dumb to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and I, you know why I think that? Because they know that, or they think they know that we don't know our history, or we don't know these old right. cases, or we don't, you right. know, like, oh, they, just use the same old lines. It's kind of like they have a playbook sometimes. It's Yeah, they really think annoying. this is just like a, a phenomenon of social media where everyone's just finding out, like, what's with all the killings of black people lately? But it's like, no, we've been knowing. Mm-hmm. We just now have a method of proving it to y'all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as all this is going on, you know, her mom's releasing statements. They're getting the parents to try to calm the, you know, calm the people, try to bring some peace in the city. Um, Sheila's condition started to deteriorate. And so the judge increased his bail um, to 130000 And Bailey was taken into custody. Only this time he was um, 
they kept him at the Men's Correctional Center in Smyrna, mm -hmm. and he was kept under heavy guard in a hospital security room because, of course, there were threats to his life yeah. at that point. Yeah, of course. Um, there was still, like, quite a bit of unrest going on in the city, mm -hmm. and so, you know, the police were, like, trying to control the situation, and um, it's interesting how much a city or a town or... Um, a place can suffer over the racist <clears throat> actions of one person. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Because then, then people start to think like, oh, that's what it's like there. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, I'm, I'm sure this was a beautiful, rich, caring, loving community. You can see that just by how many people showed up and protested and spoke out about this injustice. And that one racist jerk becomes the face of yeah the area kyle rittenhouse <laughs> yeah so um anyway so with bailey in prison like semi-peace uncomfortable peace i don't know what you yeah. want to call it um settled over wilmington and you know sheila farrell remained in critical condition um, there were vigils. There was a f special fund established to help uh, pay for Sheila's medical expenses. Mm. Um, and each day the detective would stop by to check on her progress because he was really hoping that she would uh, wake even just for a moment to identify her shooter. Yeah. Um, but over the next week, hope for Sheila's recovery just continued to fade. And then August 30th, 1975, she, uh, Sheila just, she finally died. It was like 13, 14 days later. Oh my God. Yeah. During that time where there's like protests going on, mm -hmm. they tore that peach tree down. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's um, powerful. Yeah. So the, the police never found the gun that ki that killed Sheila Farrell or the bullet. Um, the woman who accompanied John Bailey in the car, which we're all thinking is his wife, um, she was never formally identified or charged. Mm. Um, multiple eyewitnesses saw Bailey in pursuit of Sheila. Um, there was people who testified to this, you know, that he extended his arm as if to shoot a gun. Um, but interestingly enough, the defense found this surprise witness who claimed he'd seen a second shooter. Oh, and, what? Yeah. And he, this unidentified black man was in pursuit of, he, he was saying he was chasing John as John was chasing Sheila and he meant to shoot John and he ended up shooting Sheila. Ah, oh, yes, of course, the old ragtime yes. runaround. So, um, really, seriously, yeah, right. So, wow. the the jury appears like to have never believed that crazy argument. Um, but John Bailey's wife came every day, she sat in the front <laughs> row with their newborn baby, and I guess they're saying this is what, like, really saved him the jury had to consider intent like was he a malicious killer was this premeditated was this a mistake blah blah mm. blah 
and ultimately the jury decided that um, that it was the latter, that it was a horrible mistake. And so they convicted Bailey not for murder, but for a lesser charge of manslaughter. And the judge was just so upset that he refused to admit any wrongdoing that he sentenced him to the full 25 years Good. and that is the longest sentence in manslaughter in Delaware history. Good. Um yeah, good. He I mean, was, you should have gotten life, but he only he only served 17 years of his original sentence. So he was released in 1993. I'm sorry? Mhm. Mm and he still maintains his innocence. Oh, so you say he's still alive. I have a quote from him. He said I made a terrible mistake. I bought a house in the city of Wilmington. I feel so bad for what happened to poor Sheila, how she got shot. For what happened? For what you did? Yeah. That I shot her? Yeah. Whoo! Hot dog. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow. Yeah. And so he's how old now? Uh, I don't know. He was 24 at the time of the crime. So he's 45 like 45 years ago. So he's like in 70s, his 70s, 80s. Late 70s, early 80s at this point. Yeah. Um, Good to know he lived a full long life while yeah. poor Sheila died. Um, after two weeks on a respirator. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> nothing was the same afterwards. Uh for Sheila's family, of course, it's, it was, it's painful. I, I think about that. I think about like no indictment for Breonna Taylor. I think yeah. about, you know, nothing for Mike Brown, nothing for Trayvon Martin, nothing for, you know, yeah. Tamir Rice. And yeah. There's 45 years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, played out it, uh, her brother Larry the one who was actually picking um, the peaches there's a quote from him and it was like Sheila wasn't even in the tree he said that's what I don't, I don't understand about people saying she shouldn't have been in the tree I was in the tree Sheila didn't even have anything to do with it her, her, her brother goes by Mustafa now by the way mm -hmm. um, but yeah I just mm. Um, remember when I was telling you about the, her mom using the assistance to yeah. get them through every once in a while. So Bailey's, uh, while, you know, while, while that sentence brought little peace to Sheila's family, um, the weeks that followed brought like further hardship. So Medicaid initially covered all of Sheila's medical expenses, right? Mm hmm So... When the family received the cash payout from the special fund established to support um, the family, Medicaid demanded the extra income as well. And when Carolyn refused to pay, Delaware kicked the family off social welfare programs. And that's what was keeping them afloat. Yeah. I... How was the city not raised to the ground right How? and then, this is this is another thing that bothers me because people are like 
you know, when they're looking, don't burn your own neighborhoods down. Don't burn your own this down, <laughs> your own that down. That's right. Um, you, you, people say that, but you sit there. And Is it you, ours even? Right. It's number one. We made it, but it's not ours. Right. Number two, you sit there and you watch your friend, neighbor, child get shot. And then you sit in a hospital for two weeks while they're dying, while their killer gets off scot-free, barely a slap on the wrist, if anything, and you reconcile that anger and that pain and not want to burn down something. Right. Like, I, it can... This country, the white men who founded it, <laughs> were protesting their government. Right. They threw public property, tea, into the harbor. They burned down buildings. They said, you know, F you to the man. That's what this country was, quote unquote, founded on. Yeah. And to say that that's un-American or that's not patriotic or that you don't have a right to do that, mm -hmm. it's in the Constitution that if the government is not serving its people, the people have a right to protest. Right. And... That's a right that should be exercised by any means, in my opinion. If people feel the need to break stuff and burn buildings down, if that's the only way, if we've been talking and screaming and begging for mercy for hundreds of years mm -hmm. and no one's listened, what do you think is going to get someone's attention? Right. When you're attacked in the street, what do they tell you to yell? Fire. Right. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Not really. Frustrating. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's infuriating. Yeah. Ooh. But do you see too, like how many parallels that one story has to a lot of what's going on Yeah, to today? events that just happened this year, this, a couple months ago, this month. That I'm sure somewhere is happening right now. Yeah. Then, and the fact that a lot of people aren't going to hear about it. Because right. Because we do get the people that are on film. Right, Or right. that are reported that everyone knows about. But there are hundreds more that no one has any idea right. about. Mm -hmm. Someone's being detained unlawfully right now. Or being yeah. kidnapped. Or being murdered. Right. And no one's going to know about it. That pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> like, this to whole, know. This whole story pisses me off. The little, you know, the bully who calls kids the N-word because he's insignificant. Mm hmm That doesn't get, you know, like, just never, ever suffers. Because there was they, no... They just... There their, were no checks and balances in the first place. Their repercussions are never equivalent to their... To their crime. Yeah. Yeah. There's never a... Because there's no... There's no precedent. There, I think that's why so many police or so many people in authority feel comfortable mm -hmm. committing crimes or killing. Because yeah. they don't... They haven't seen it happen where someone's been held accountable for their actions. It's so interesting, too, because... Like I said before, I went to a high school where I was like one of very few black kids. And it's interesting now that I'm older, um, you know, like 
there are several kids who are reaching out like to friend me on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. Yeah. Who have called me a nigger before. Right. Right? Yeah. And I'm just like it's interesting because you know, for for me, that's never gone away. Yeah. I remember those people. I I'm 40 years old now. Mm. I don't want to be your friend, not even on Facebook. Right. Right. Like we forgot. These are the same people that say, well, teach or say you shouldn't be so offended or it's just a word because it doesn't affect them. It doesn't affect them the same. So they're able to say these stupid things like don't let it affect you. Right. Like shut up. And then years later, come and smile in your face and try to make friends like you don't understand. Like it's just a word in a sentence to you. Mm -hmm. It's just an insult that you threw out and you can forget it. I promise you, every black person you know remembers every single time that someone called them that word. Yeah. Or used their race against them. That, yeah, you don't, it's a pain that doesn't go away. That's annoying. But you know what else? I was just, uh, one more thing before we go. Yes. I was, um, I was also thinking about, like, you know, how the teacher said, you know, that they were bullies in school and they called the kids and words in the lunch line and I was just thinking about you know instances all these missed teaching moments because you know when I was in high school my principal told me that I would have to get used to being called a nigger because I was one of the only black people in school just Mm -hmm. like people like he had to get used to people making fun of him because he was balding and and then yeah. here I am going to the school on behalf of my son and I'm hearing like the same well, thing. Well, he's from up north and, you know, sometimes people think, you know, people that come from up north are aggressive and so they say things like, shut up. Yeah. Man up or woman up or do your job. Do your job. Do your job. It Stop is... making excuses for these bullies. And like, it is your job. To teach children. No, it's your and not only that, but to while you're in them. your care, you're supposed right. to be protecting not not just them physically, but them emotionally. Right. Yeah. Teach them to not harm like your people. For <laughs> those yeah. hours from whatever school starts, like eight what, eight, seven thirty p AM to three PM or however long, those are your children. Right. You are their parents during that time. No, you cannot beat them because that would be illegal. (laughs) But parent them. Teach them, hey, you don't say that to someone else. Don't treat other people this way. There should just be, I think the same repercussions that you give for physical aggression, they they should have the same punishments and repercussions. Absolutely. Because nine times out of ten, you calling my son the n-word right is going to get him suspended for five days because he's going to break something on your face yes so like spend them both for five days exactly and i won't have to be up at the school every 15 minutes right what was that that we learned all as children sticks and stones may break my bones but words can never hurt me that's that was the worst (laughs) lie that was ever told to us as children i think that's when you start realizing that adults are that they have no idea what they're doing they're not always smart no because like and they lie right i remember the first time i heard that someone was like sticks and stones may break my bones 
but words will never hurt me. And I'm like, oh, so you're a sociopath. <laughs> so you just don't feel inside. Right. Is that right? right? What? No, I think that's a purely, yeah. purely white thing. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I think it is. Well, yeah. I don't, because I, I mean, there's not many. Well, you know what I find funny? Maybe this isn't funny, but it's funny. Probably is to us. Well, <clears throat> our visceral response to being called the N-word is like their visceral, visceral response to being called a racist when they're in the middle of a right? racist activity. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> everyone, it, it's it's so funny to me, too, because they're like, well, I don't understand why you're getting so upset about being called the N-word. Because I get called a cracker all the time, and it doesn't affect me. And it's like, yeah, because you hold the power in society. Right. And then you're like racist, and they're like, don't call me a racist. Don't call me a racist. Racist is the worst slur right. <laughs> you can ever call. A racist. A racist. Right. It's like, what? I'm just calling it like I see it. If it quacks like a duck. We went off on a tangent. Like a duck. We did. Anywho. A little bit. But I anyway. mean, it's an important topic that's relevant. To all of us. But I'm um Yay. <sighs> Inhale, exhale. All right. All right. All right. Well that was uh that was this 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 week's episode. Yeah, Sheila Farrell. Chew on that. Chew on that fat. Yeah. Um, do we know what's up next? We, uh, no, because we change quite often. Yeah, we do. We have and a list, I but like we skip to, around. Yeah, we like to skip around. Um, yeah. We like yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. I never want to say because somebody's Freedom of Act info might come in sooner Ooh. than the other. Yeah, that's true. And I true. don't ever want to. Well, until next week, it'll be a tasty little mystery. Yeah. Tasty little mystery. Yeah. Um, well, I think, well, you know, you should do um, <laughs> maybe... When we decide, like, in the middle of the week, we can just announce it on the pages. Yeah, I think so. I like that, too. Yeah. That's what we're going to be doing from now on. Put on pum Look boop, at boop. you guys in a production meeting. I know, right? <laughs> um, well, we will be back next week, as long as this one doesn't fall down and go boom again, please. I won't. Or, um... It's like, I can't say I won't. <laughs> <laughs> you better not. Or, unless I forget that it's a recording day and sleep through... <laughs> When we're supposed to record. Yeah. Like I did Friday. Boo boo. It's 8.30. Okay, it's time for your... For your... What is it? No? Nope. A whole know. half an hour, so you're going to take me to the store because now I need munch. Oh my God. Well, all right, cousins. Thank you for coming with us on this journey into the past. We will yeah. see you... That was a good one. ...in the future. See you later, Gators. Bye. The Cousins in Crime podcast stars Fatima and LaToya Berry. All information and sources for information can be found in the episode notes and on our website, CousinsInCrime.com. Reach out to us by emailing CousinsInCrime at Outlook.com or by searching Cousins in Crime podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Intro and outro music by Pardis Black. His music can be found at SoundCloud.com forward slash Pardis dash Black. That's P-A-R-D-U-S dash B-L-A-C-K-E.
Okay. Okay. All okay, right. Go. Go ahead. Hey. <laughs> no? Oh, come on. Hey. They do this. Shut up, Toyo. <laughs> Suck. <laughs> oh, my God. It's going to be one of those nights, huh? Ma'am. If you miss 2020, it's on you. Because you no, no, so no, long. no. We are starting an hour late. So if I miss 2020, I'm punching you. I mean, fair. Um, anyway. So. Hello. Hello. Are we going to practice our hellos? Are we having trouble with hello? Hello. Hello. Hello, hello is like air. Hey, What's up, man? Hey. I mean, Shut if that's, up. If that's I was the mood we're in. Saying hi to everyone. Don't make hey. fun of me. I'm sensitive. Hey. You're the worst. No, I didn't. That's what I the coughing fit. How many times must I tell you? Silence all cellular devices during recording, Latoya. It's unprofessional. And if you get your own time. All right. <laughs> Touche. <laughs>